It's so good, isn't it? And the stampede begins. Uh, good morning. Uh, in case you don't know, my name's Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Covenants. And uh, thank you very much. And um, we are thrilled to be with you guys this morning. And as we just kind of uh, celebrated and um, our new kindergartners, we also have some new sixth graders in the room. I'm not going to make you stand right now. I'm not going to make you do that. But I do want to thank you for being in here with us and that you're welcome here now that you're not uh, school, you're not in kindergarten or elementary anymore. You're now kind of growing up this new phase of life. It's, it gets interesting. And so... Um, but it gets fun. And so um, let's, let's jump in. We finished First uh, Peter a few weeks ago. And uh, there is this verse in chapter 5 that I think Luke preached on that has kind of stuck with me. And it's this right here. It says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God at the proper time he may exalt you. Humble yourself, uh, this idea of walking in humility. It's kind of what Paul says in Philippians 2. And we're going to be in Philippians 2 most of the day today if you want to turn there in Philippians 2. It's on the screen as well. Paul says this to the church in Philippi. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection, any sympathy completes my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So Paul loves these people and he's pouring in writing this letter and he was saying, you would make me the happiest apostle in the world if you did this. And it's this idea of walking in unity. But here is the secret sauce when it comes to walking in oneness, in unity, in any sphere of anything in the world. A church, a marriage, a sports team, a classroom, uh, a staff. Here is the key to walking in unity. Verse 3, it's real simple too. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. It's easier. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your interest, but also to the interest of others. Do nothing from selfish ambition. Look at others as more important than yourself. This is where it gets tough for me because I'm the center of me, right? In the story of Jason Wood, Jason Wood's the star, the director, the co-star, the guy who videos, whatever you call him. I'm the sound, I'm everything in my story, right? And what you're seeing here from Peter first, by the side of humbling yourself and then Paul kind of really bringing clarity to it to count others as more important than myself. And I know this, that I'm wired this way because there's times in my life where it just comes out. So think about, you know, maybe this happened to me once before. I'm in a grocery store and I'm in a checkout line. And you do this game, right? The checkout line game. Like, who is the fastest person I'm going to get behind right here? And you, you find uh, this person. Oh, they're going to be fast. And you're, you're sitting there and they pull out their checkbook. And at that point, I know that I am not looking at others as more important than myself. I'm the center of me and the center of me is angry that you cost me 30 seconds. That is doing everything 
from selfish ambition. And that's silly and we get that. But here's where we kind of get our toes stepped on. I think uh, the issue is the way of the world is I take mine and you get the leftovers. And the way of the world has crept in and I think influenced the church more than the way of Jesus. I preached a few weeks ago and I talked about drifting and how we don't just drift into holiness. We don't just drift into good works. And hear this today. I promise you this. Living in this world in 2023, you're not going to drift towards humility. The waves aren't pushing us towards humility. They're pushing us towards self-centeredness. But there's hope for us today. And there's hope as we even celebrated baptism today. There's hope in new life. Here's what I mean. You're sitting here and you're probably recounting this week uh, your self-centered deeds and thoughts. And the, the good news is there was one person that came. It was the God-man who put on flesh, who hear this, was never self-centered who always counted others more significant than himself and, and did that perfectly because you and I, we could not. Look at Paul in Philippians 2 as he keeps going in verse 5. So he wants us to be one, basically we're one through humility. And then he says here, have this mind among yourselves. So what I've been married for 12 years now and thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, it has been, I mean this, the best 12 years of my life and Tracy's not in the room so you know it's true. And, and over those 12 years as we're married, we just start thinking alike. You start seeing things differently. Um, you, your family irritates you in the same ways now. Like, oh, here they come. They're going to say this about the couch. You know that. You start thinking the same way. We have this mind among ourselves. And it should be the same way among the people of God that we should have this same mind, which is yours, ours, in Christ Jesus as the church, as we center our life around him, we begin to think alike. And here is who Jesus is. Verse 6. Who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He had the greatest prestige, the greatest Unity, the greatest thing the world has ever seen, but he didn't hold tight, he held loose. Verse 7, he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Christ humbled himself by taking the form of a servant. Dallas Willard says this, more than any other single way, the grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. Humility, as we all know, is one of those virtues that is never gained by seeking it. The more we pursue it, the more distant it becomes. 
So we can't just go grab humility. The path to walking in humility is being a servant. You ever met that person? They're just selfless. Um, some of you in here know uh, Luke and Melissa Richardson. Um, and some of you, they used to go to our church years ago, and they're still friends with many of us in our church. And Melissa is, is battling uh, cancer. And I was talking to Heather DeLoach, a good friend of hers, this week, and she's recounting a story about Melissa's going through just all the things right now. And every time Heather calls her, Melissa's only response is seeking how she's doing. Well, Melissa has every right to be self-centered in that moment. She has the posture of a servant, of humbly serving. And I think we, we hear stories like that and it just resonates, doesn't it? We all want to be the humble, self-serving person, not the self-seeking person. But we don't like the path it takes to get there because it's the path of service. This is what Jesus explains in Mark 10. It's on the screen. He says, Jesus called them over and he said to them, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. And those in high positions act as tyrants over them. But it's not so among you. You're, you're my followers. You're my people. So the way the world does things is not so among us. On the contrary, Whoever wants to become great among you will be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you will be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Things are different for the people of Christ. For the way that we live, it should and must be different. A life of pride and bickering and talking and all this stuff and taking are not so among God's people. Jesus came to establish a new way, a new kingdom that looks different than the kingdom of this world. It's a culture of service. We're not here to be served, but to serve. And the beauty of of service is that it has this twofold effect. As I choose to humble myself and serve other people, what happens is I am inwardly changed into a person that I have a desire to be. This is like as you cut calories, you lose weight. As you begin to serve, you become more humble. If you serve in the way of Jesus lined out in his scriptures. But not just that, church, we are inwardly changed. But also, as the church begins to serve each other and serve the world, then God's kingdom is made manifest here on earth, and the world sees something different. The world sees something that its souls are aching for. The world begins to change. It becomes to look more like God's kingdom. As we feed the hungry, as we adopt children, as we share meals with a neighbor, as we care for the forgotten, as we serve families in ordinary ways, we're doing kingdom work. We're seeking his kingdom here on earth. But serving is not natural to us. Literally this morning, and as my time with God this morning, I, I wrote down... 
I just don't like to serve other people many times. Can, it's okay to say that. Can y'all admit that in your own little journals right now? It's right down. Like, it's hard for me to do this. To, to, to really seek others' goodwill more than your own. Richard Foster says this. In some ways, we would prefer to hear Jesus' call to deny father and mother houses and land for the sake of the gospel than his word to wash feet. Radical self-denial gives the feel of adventure, but in service, we must experience the many little deaths of going beyond ourselves. Service banishes us to the mundane, the ordinary, the trivial. It can feel that way, can't it? That's kind of dark, but, but it does feel that way when we're serving this way. But, but here is something we miss when it comes to service. And here's the big idea for the day. To become a humble servant, we must practice becoming a humble servant. To become the kind of person that I think in your soul you desire to be, you've got to take steps, step by step, and practice the way of Jesus to become like Jesus. This is the spiritual discipline of serving. You don't drift towards humility and service. We discipline ourselves. We talk all the time about the discipline of reading your Bible. Yes and amen. The discipline of prayer. Yes and amen. The discipline of fasting. Yes and amen. Those disciplines are a part of becoming like Jesus. But we forget that serving is an essential discipline. And I know this because in my own heart, I say things like this. Well, my small group's going to be serving the hub tonight. So it's like an off night for us. Or, or maybe you, when you serve in kids, you think, well, today I, I'm not going to grow spiritually because I'm going to go serving kids. I'm not learning anything. I, I'm not responding in worship. I'm just serving but hear this, church, as you're on your hands and knees playing with a three-year-old and nobody sees you doing this, God is doing a work in your heart that many times is much more essential than you just learning something. So we say all the time, uh, being a disciple, we must grow in our head, in our hearts, in our hands. In the West, friends, we love the head and the heart. Like head churches will preach, you know, want to preach scripture all day long. All you need to do is that. And we, if we just learn these things, we'll be good. And, and you have your more expressive churches. They have worship for like seven and a half hours. And they want to express their emotions. And the heart expands and it grows. And we love each other. That's, that's great. But we also become like Christ as we use our gifts, as we use our hands, as we take up our towel and we serve one another. An essential thing happens. Our heart is changed. Head, heart, and hands. To become a humble servant, we must practice becoming a humble servant. So we're going to look at three practices today, three biblical practices to becoming a humble servant. First one, it's really fun. We must serve in secret. We serve in Secrets. Uh, Matthew 6. I'm not sure this is on the screen or not, but Jesus says this Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
Richard Foster says this, nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. It strains and it pulls for honor, for recognition. It will devise subtle, excuse me, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the service rendered. If we stoutly refuse to give in this lust of the flesh, we crucify it. Every time we crucify the flesh, we crucify our pride and our arrogance. Uh, Jesus modeled this from the very beginning and how he came. Can you imagine if, if uh, we put a team together and said, okay, God is coming to earth in three years. What is our marketing strategy? Uh, what is our plan? He needs to basically be born in Times Square where everybody can see him come out. We'll have lights, we'll have music play and all this stuff would happen so everybody would see this tremendous act. But our savior came in anonymity. Bethlehem, to, to poor parents, no fanfare except some shepherds, the lowliest of people. That's how our Savior came and he pretty much stayed that way. When crowds got too big, he would say really hard things and kind of whittle the crowd down to really a small group of people to do this almost small, hidden work. Jesus many times served in ways that nobody knew. I think about the, the woman at the well. As his disciples are going out to get food, he's having this conversation. They don't know about it until they come back and you see him serving in these hidden, these unseen ways. If all of our serving is done for others to see, then inherently we're going to have a shallow faith. Uh, we're going to have a faith that's really dependent upon people seeing what we do and being validated for what we do. And our motivations at that point are just off in the shallow. This is the challenge of our day, isn't it? There is this idea now that if it's not on social media, did it really even happen? And so we, we're not even sure how to like serve in private, I believe. But how we serve, I think, reveals the motivation of our hearts. And I say that with full um, humility or full conviction of myself because I find myself even at home, like uh, Tracy was gone the other night doing something. She was working, I believe, at a meeting. And I bathed Hattie, like I parted the Red Sea. And um, she got home and I was like, yeah, I bathed Hattie. It's no big deal, no big deal. Five minutes later, she's doing something. Yeah, I, yeah, you know, I bathed Hattie. And so, and then 10 minutes, we're going to bed. Like, yeah, bathing Hattie and I, it was so hard. She made a big mess. I wanted to be known as this person that served selflessly. Make sense? And so I made sure somebody knew, but they would know how great I was basically. And it reveals this motivation in in my own heart, that in the truth, I, I was serving to be seen a certain way by my spouse, not to honor God and simply love her. This is the work that serving in hidden does, hiddenness does. In secret, if, our, if we serve in secret, our motivation at that point can be transformational. Transformational. 
It can be to simply love God and to love our neighbor. But I want you to hear this. Please hear this. When we serve, and Foster re- referenced this, when we serve and nobody sees it, what happens is a discomfort comes. Your flesh at that moment, it wants to be fed by validation. But hear this. Here's the key to serving in secret so that we can be transformed. That discomfort we feel when we serve but we're not recognized. If we allow that slight discomfort and frustration and that even almost pain that, no, that it's not fair that we did this and we're not being recognized. If we can learn to just let that go and let it honor God, God will do an amazing work in our heart over time. As we learn to serve in this hidden, in this secret kind of way. Serving in secret, here's what it does. It destroys the pride of glory. You're actively going to war against this pride for glory you have in your heart. And it has shackles on us. And if we can kind of get through the temporary frustration of not being seen and being recognized, it produces real freedom in the long term. As we learn to just simply serve without being seen, we learn to not be shackled by this pride of glory and to walk into freedom. But that's not the only practice that we need today. Yes, we need to serve and not be seen, but we also must second, serve small and faithful. Serve small and faithful. See, we don't like small and faithful. We like big and maybe one time, right? But Jesus and his way are different than the way of the world. See, we like big and fast and the way of Jesus many times is small and slow. Matthew 17 says this. He said to them, because of your little faith, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move and nothing will be impossible for you through the faith of this small thing. When we are faithful with the little, we can be trusted to be faithful with the lot. Listen, uh, big, exciting service and task requires sacrifice for a moment. Small and faithful requires constant sacrifice over a lifetime. Uh, I'll never forget, this is now a long time ago, six years ago. Um... One of the greatest experiences of my life was fundraising uh, to adopt our little girl, Hattie. We got a little girl from China named Hattie. And uh, we spent a year or so, and this church here loved on us in ways that we can't even comprehend. And then uh, went to China, and I ate lots of McDonald's in China. I'm sorry, guys. Um, and, and I ate some Chinese food, and it was interesting. And um, and we were there, and then I remember coming home to our friends and family, and this this celebration. Um, and the truth is, I am not an adventurous person, and I don't like asking for money to fundraise. And that was a hard thing to do. But I will tell you this, after spending six years with my daughter, who I love, uh, adopting a child in that process is easy. That's the big and the fast. Raising her over a lifetime is really, really hard. And it seems all funny. You get home and this child won't stop doing this, right? 
because we think of the big and the fast and the big, everybody sees this and what God, what God really is after is saints who will serve in the small and the faith ways. In a culture that's warped by uh, social media, if it's not big, it's not valuable, right? Hear this. You baking cookies for the new neighbor, every time you see a new neighbor, that is good, small kingdom work. Those who open your home uh, for a small group, and you host and you make sure that there's a place for the kids and you don't lead discussion or you, you don't teach or you don't do, but you're that person in the background making sure there's a place for everybody. That is small, essential kingdom work. Uh, the person who got here at 7, 7.30 and set up the baptistry is essential kingdom work work. The kingdom of God is built on small unseen works. And if we forgo the small and the unseen for the big and the seen, we've adopted the way of the world and we wonder why we don't see the power of God in our lives. Hear this church, as we learn to walk in service and humble ourselves, God can move, but God only moves where he's wanted. And if we can do all these great things in our own power, we don't need God. It's okay, well, this place is good. They don't need me. But if we have mustard seed faith, because here's what serving in the small does. It, it destroys the pride of productivity, the pride of progress, where we do things to accomplish things. But in the kingdom math, in the kingdom world, we simply sow mustard seeds of faith and we trust God that over a long period of time, he will do a work. But nobody sees that. No one's getting pat on the back for that. That is small, faithful kingdom work. Because many times the work that we do as followers of Jesus, as we serve others and we serve the world, many times we don't see the results. We're a part of that person's story where 10 years later they find God because one day you host them in your home for a meal. And they saw a family live out what it looks like to love each other and love God. So we sow these little seeds of faith. So we serve the uns in the unseen. We serve small but faithful. But last, and I believe most essential, and I believe what's hardest for us today, we allow yourself to be served. You allow yourself to be served. This is our big no-no. We say, no, we're fine. I'm good, yeah, it's a hard season, but, but I'm good. Uh, much like Peter, John 13, Jesus is washing their feet. My boy Peter comes to front of the line. It says, Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus said to him, well, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. <laughs> and Peter changed his mind very quickly. But the issue is, I think the thing is, is that we adopt the same attitude as Peter. Listen, allowing Christ and his work to serve us, to wash over us, is the most essential thing to become a humble servant. This is, go back to Philippians 2 real quick. 
Philippians 2. In verse 5, he says this. Have this mind among yourselves. And here's the key. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is where faith comes in. It's the faith that says, I'm going to accept and receive his works and bring nothing to the table. When we all walk in that same kind of thing, you know what's not happening? A lot of pride, a lot of chest puffing because we did nothing. We brought nothing to the table. It was all the work of Jesus washing over us and serving us. And it's his work that has made us servants. Rejecting, trusting in our own works is the most essential mistake that we make over and over again. That's the one. We leave the work of Christ and we put on the work of ourselves. And we do this and that burden is heavy, isn't it? For you to be the functional savior, that's a heavy burden. You can't carry that. But I'm going to say this too. This is not just a spiritual serving that we receive from Christ. We also must allow others to serve us in the body of Christ. Look at the life of Jesus as he lived here on earth. He was consistently and constantly allowing himself to be served by others. People funded his ministry. We see these great stories of him having his feet washed, of people preparing meals for Jesus, of caring and serving for Jesus. Hear this, Jesus modeled letting other people serve him. Who are we to not allow others to serve us in the body of Christ? Here's what allowing others to serve us does. It kills the pride of self-sufficiency. And hear this, allowing others to serve you is very un-American, but it's very Christ-like. And it's really hard. Because we are brought up with, we don't ask for help. Because we are self-sufficient. And I want to lovingly tell you, that is corrosive. It is damaging it is poison for the heart of a follower of Jesus we are not self-sufficient people we are here sustained and bought by the blood and the work of Jesus and then we forget that work and the body of Christ picks us up and says no don't look at yourself look at him look at him he's the one who sustains you you do not sustain yourself and we can't get that out of our souls. But our, our God, our Jesus, he can sustain us every moment of the day. You know what, one of the beautiful things when we ask for help is that we show others that we don't have it all together. Because we don't. Nobody here does. If you're here today and you feel like, if you only knew, this room is full of people, if you only knew. There's no perfect person here. We all are in desperate need of him and each other. Having all together, not needing help is not a virtue. 
It's not a virtue. Humility is a virtue. And as we walk in humility, we get this beautiful thing, interdependency. Where we are dependent on each other. Let's go to Acts 2. Go to Acts 2. Let's have some fun. I love going off notes. My Bible drill's coming out too. I like that as well. Acts 2. And if you've been in church, you've heard this before. Um, and, and I believe um, most of us, if we've been in church, this is, what, this is why we're here. You are not here because uh, some great preacher um, or because of our fancy curtains or <laughs> because of our green chairs. Um, you are here because a vision of kingdom life we are grasping after. And we see it in verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed, hear this, were together and had all things in common. My couch was your couch. Uh, your lake house is now my lake house. Um, that's how that works. Uh, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. This is the beauty of the kingdom of God at work. Go to Acts 4, verse 32. Not a one-time thing. This is the culture of the early church. This is the, air, the, 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 the waves they swam in, the air they breathed. Now the full number, this is verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. There was this beautiful picture and culture of service and interdependency. That was alive and it well. so beautiful because the discipline of asking for help is essential for destroying the pride in our lives and the illusion that we have it all together and we don't need help. So just here's, it's like, okay, what does that mean, Jason? Do I have to just, just share all, here's, here's a, just a few simple things. At work this week, ask the coworker for help. Ask Brenda for help this week. Ask them for help. Make yourself look foolish for a moment. You don't know the system or you don't know this. Ask them for help. Ask for help with your kids. Ask for help with your kids. Maybe you're reading scripture. You don't understand it. Ask someone you trust that knows scripture. Ask them. Make yourself look foolish. How beautiful would it be to be foolish in Christ and fully depend on him and walk in his joy instead of this fake pride nonsense. Ask for help with things you are not good at. See, yesterday I was at the house and um, yesterday morning and I was, you know, free until that evening. And um, uh, my mother got the kids trampoline and it's been sitting in a box for about a month. And uh, if you don't know, I am not great with my hands and tools. Um, and I thought, you know, I should text some people asking for help. And I just didn't want to because of my pride. 
And what happens is you miss out on fellowship, you miss out on uh, great jokes made at my expense for not being able to fix things, my, my, my kids being able to jump on a trampoline. We miss out on this fellowship uh, because of me, the bottleneck of pride. And my story's not unique. There are things in this room that you can't do, your brother can do, and you do it together, it brings God glory. If we can learn to ask for help. Maybe you need to ask for specific prayer on something. You need to ask, not that, oh, my wick would be good, but this, this thing would happen. That you have to kind of put yourself out there asking for help in a specific way. Maybe you share the burden specifically and not generically. And it's as we do these things, as we serve in secret, as we serve with small, as we allow ourselves to be served, we see how this culture of service begins to create among our faith family. And you can see this thing happen. So I got three points of application today. They're very simple. They go with even our other points. Uh, First, find a way... Find a hidden way to serve this week. Where only you and God know. And tell nobody. Tell nobody. Find a hidden way to serve this week. And then talk to God about it. What that felt, how you wanted credit, what God could do in your heart through that. Find a way to serve in hiding this week. Second, find a small, consistent way to serve. Find a small, consistent way to serve. Many of those really is even in our church as we serve kids, as we, as we set up, as, we, as, we do, as you go to your community group, make sure you're the one that's cleaning up the kids' toys when it's time to go. Just find a small and consistent way. I'll tell you, in our households, this can thrive. Find the things that maybe if you're married, your spouse hates to do and serve your spouse in that way. Find small, consistent ways to serve. Last point. Ask for help. Remember, this is a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a practice. Ask for help. Expose a need. Expose an insecurity, what you're not, but ask for help. And it's as we do these things, we're going to walk more in a kingdom way. But I think underneath all those things, there is asking our Father in heaven, how do I say this? I think there's people in this room right now that simply need to ask God for help. Let's go ahead and start praying right now. If you will, just close your eyes with me. Man, woman, child, teenager in this room right now, father that has been doing it their way for a long time. that has been in hiding because the things they've done they feel like are too vile to be for God to see. 
they've tried in their own way, in their own works over and over again. And they just have, there's just no joy. There's no hope. Father, would you right now through your Holy Spirit and your loving kindness just let these people, let us as a people look to the fiery but compassionate eyes of the Father. And the posture of the Father is not turning away. The Father of the posture is running after the lost son and daughter. So Father, help those that are far away today to turn to you to ask you for help, to ask you to serve them, to ask you to wash over them, to ask you to make them new, to ask you to raise up new life in them. Father, will you do that work this morning, Lord, and give these men and women and kids and teenagers uh, the faith to say yes to you and the courage to seek help from others today, Father even in this room. Would you help us as a people? We love you. I pray, ask all this in your name. Amen. So today there's no response through communion, but here's what I ask you to do. Two ways to respond. First, you're all given a connection card. And maybe for you, one of those three things is your step this week. And I would encourage you to fill that card out and put it in the basket. We can pray for you this week. Or maybe today you need to actually talk to someone about what God is doing in your life. Like you're saying, God, please help me here. And you need to just pray with someone. We have a prayer team in the back for that purpose. And so the band's going to play here in a moment. And if you want to talk to someone about what God is doing in your life, go talk to them. But I would encourage this whole room in here to do work with God. Just imagine if we begin as a people to serve in this kind of way, in the hidden, in the small, allow ourselves to be served. What could God do within our community, within our city, within our world? What could God do? So we're going to sing. I want to encourage you to, at your chairs to just pray for a moment. If you want prayer, we're going to be in the back. Come when you're ready.